Hello everyone and welcome to the June 17th edition of the WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Foles, an attorney with the Floyd Scarron Law Firm. Thanks for joining us today. So let's get started with our litigation report. The slippery slope of medical marijuana inches closer and closer to acceptance in many areas, including treatment of workers' compensation claims. Now, the 3rd District Court of Appeal helped to kick the door open when it ruled that California voters legalized recreational possession of less than an ounce of cannabis in 2016, with no exception even for those behind bars. In the published case of People v. Raybon, the court overturned the Sacramento County convictions of five inmates who had been found with marijuana in their prison cells. The court rejected multiple arguments presented by the California Attorney General, Javier Becerra, who vigorously argued in favor of the convictions. In so doing, the court claimed that the Attorney General recycled old arguments in prior cases that have previously ruled against his arguments. The voters amended the law to eliminate criminal sanctions for possession of less than an ounce of marijuana and they retain criminal sanctions for possessing more than an ounce or for smoking or ingesting it. The court said that the fact the Attorney General may not agree with the voters does not empower the court to rewrite the initiative. The court ruled that according to the plain language of Proposition 64, possession of less than an ounce of cannabis in prison is no longer a felony. However, smoking or ingesting cannabis in prison remains a penalty. The three-judge panel also rejected the state's argument that guards will lose control over prisons if inmates are free to possess small quantities of marijuana, noting that possession can still be punished as a rules violation with longer prison terms or a reduction in privileges, while prison officials can still punish inmates for violating the rules. The court said that the ruling will prevent inmates from having years added to their sentences for simple possession, thus reducing overcrowding and saving fifty to $75,000 a year in unnecessary costs. The judges scolded the Attorney General's office for a counter-argument it said that used arcane rules and twisted the meaning of the words of the statute. Attorney General Javier Becerra's office said it is reviewing the ruling and did not say if he will appeal. And now our crime report. A federal jury has found an East Hollywood-based doctor and patient recruiter guilty for their roles in a $33 million Medicare fraud scheme. The evidence showed that Medicare was billed for clinic, home health, hospice services, and durable medical equipment that the patients did not need or did not receive. Following a seven-day trial, Robert A. Glazer of North Hollywood, the owner and operator of the East Hollywood-based Glazer Clinic, was found guilty of one count of conspiracy to commit health care fraud and 12 counts of health care fraud. And his co-defendant, 62-year-old Marina Marino, a marketer, who recruited patients in exchange for kickback payments, was found guilty of conspiracy to commit health care fraud and eight counts of health care fraud. Glazer and Marino are scheduled to be sentenced on September 9 when each defendant faces the possibility of decades in federal prison.
Glazer and Marino were charged in a 2015 superseding indictment, along with Angelina Avestian, the office manager of Glazer Clinic and the co-owner of Fifth Avenue Home Health, located in East Hollywood, and Ashot Manassian, the co-owner of Fifth, Health, Fifth Avenue as well. Marino and other marketers received payments from Avastian and Manassian to recruit Medicare beneficiaries to the Glazer Clinic. Thereafter, Glazer billed Medicare for office services and tests that the patients did not need and did not receive. Glazer also referred Medicare patients for a variety of services, including home health and hospice services, as well as ordering durable medical equipment that the patients did not need and did not receive. Avestian, who worked as an office manager at the Glazer Clinic, also sold Glazer's referrals to other home health and durable medical equipment agencies. Together, the defendants and their co-conspirators submitted about $33 million in claims. Avestian and Manassian pleaded guilty to conspiracy to commit health care fraud in October 2018 and are scheduled to be sentenced. And a San Diego dentist faces 75 fraud charges for 600 fake root canals. 58-year-old April Rose Ambrosio was charged with insurance fraud counts for allegedly bilking insurance companies of hundreds of thousands of dollars. She allegedly submitted claims for procedures she never performed, including more than 600 root canals. Her office was located at 10717 Camino Ruiz in San Diego. She faces 83 years in prison if convicted on all counts. Prosecutors allege that Ambrosio submitted insurance claims for as many as 28 root canals on a single patient and also submitted claims indicating she had performed more than 100 root canals over a three-month period for a family of four. The investigation commenced when an insurance company filed a suspected fraud form with the California Department of Insurance in December 2016. Ambrosio was accused of defrauding eight insurance companies in the alleged billing scheme, which took place over the course of three years. Prosecutors say she billed the insurance companies for nearly $600,000. She pleaded not guilty to all counts and is due back in court September 5 for a readiness conference. And drug maker Insys Therapeutics Incorporated filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection. This was about one week after agreeing to pay $225 million to settle a U.S. probe into bribes it paid to doctors for prescribing its powerful opioid medication. The filing in U.S. Bankruptcy Court made Incis Company the first drug manufacturer to turn to bankruptcy due to legal expenses brought on by accusations of responsibility in the deadly U.S. opioid epidemic. Incis said it intends to continue operating its business while it pursues the sale of substantially all of its assets under a court-supervised sale process. Incess manufactured the fentanyl spray, Subsys, and agreed on June 5 to settle the U.S. Justice Department probe and have a subsidiary plead guilty to fraud charges. 
A month earlier, a federal jury in Boston found incest founder John Kapoor and four other former executives and managers guilty of engaging in a vast racketeering conspiracy. Prosecutors allege that while Kapoor served as the company chairman, the company paid doctors and other medical practitioners bribes in exchange for prescribing substances to their patients. Incest did so by paying medical practitioners to act as speakers at sham events ostensibly meant to educate clinicians about the drug substances. Prosecutors said the scheme helped boost sales of substances whose net revenue grew from $8.6 million in 2012 to $329 million in 2015. INSYS went public in 2013 with what became the best-performing initial public offering of that year. The company said on Monday it intends to pay vendors and suppliers in full for goods and services provided after the bankruptcy filing date of June 10. Other opioid manufacturers face lawsuits by state and local governments seeking to hold them responsible for the epidemic, including OxyContin maker Purdue Pharma. Purdue has also considered filing for bankruptcy to address potentially significant liabilities from roughly 2,000 lawsuits And a double-dipping claimant and business owner on the side has been sentenced in Ventura County. Charles Rubin, formerly of Simi Valley, was placed on summary probation for a period of 36 months after pleading guilty to making a fraudulent statement for the purpose of obtaining workers' compensation benefits. Rubin paid over $41,000 in restitution to the State Compensation Insurance Fund, and nearly $4,000 to his former employer, First Class Access Control. Rubin was placed on disability for an injury sustained while employed at First Class Access Control in Simi. He collected disability payments while not reporting that he earned over $48,000 while working as a self-employed contractor. He was the president and owner of his own company, C.R.'s Gate Service Incorporated. And in medical news, researchers now say that legalizing medical marijuana no longer appears to be linked with a drop in fatal opioid overdoses. The new study published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences calls into question the potential for cannabis to help fix the opioid crisis. In recent years, many advocates for legalizing marijuana, including some doctors and public health officials, have cited a pivotal 2014 study that found lower rates of fatal opioid overdoses from 1999 to 2010 in the states that legalized medical marijuana. Now, for the current study, researchers used similar methods to take another look at the same period examined in the 2014 study, and they extended the analysis through 2017 to include many states that only recently legalized marijuana. The new study found a similar result for the same period covered in the 2014 study about a 21% decrease in opioid overdose deaths 
when states legalized medical marijuana. But when the new study looked over more time, from 1999 to 2017, they found an almost 23% increase in opioid overdose deaths in states with medical marijuana laws. They concluded that medical cannabis laws do not seem to have reduced opioid overdose mortality at the population level. The current study did not find a difference in opioid deaths associated with legalized marijuana based on how permissive or restrictive state laws might be, or whether states allowed only medical pot or also permitted recreational use. California became the first state to legalize medical marijuana in 1996. Today, 47 states permit some versions of medical cannabis. And in an effort to f help patients find high-quality care, the U.S. Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services publishes hospital rankings based on patients' experiences on a website called Hospital Compare. But research to date has not offered a clear picture of how much patients' ratings on a scale of 1 to 5 might help people find the best place to go for care. Now a new study claims that patients are much happier in small hospitals with amenities and that hospitals that provide complex care for critical illnesses or serious injury may find it harder to make patients happy. And patients may be more likely to give a top five-star rating to hospitals that don't offer many commonly sought-after services like emergency rooms and intensive care units. In the current study, researchers examined services offered and patient experience ratings for nearly, nearly 3,000 hospitals nationwide. They discovered that hospitals with five stars were 84 to 92 percent less likely to provide emergency services, intensive care, cardiology, or neurology. The lead study author from Johns Hopkins School of Medicine concluded, that patients should not rely exclusively on the five-star ratings to choose where to seek their care. This is especially true for patients with multiple medical problems and chronic illnesses. Hospital patient experience rating systems in general should be just one of many hospital metrics patients should look at when selecting the correct hospital. Patient experience performance ratings are a relationship between communication and responsiveness needs of the patients and how well the hospitals perform to meet those needs. Patients who search for only five-star hospitals when they need complex care may therefore be surprised to find many types of services they need are unavailable at these hospitals. And that is all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, your iPad, or Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. And we also publish a daily flash briefing on the Amazon Alexa Echo platform. Search for the Workers' Compensation News on the Amazon website. And again, I'm Renee Foltz with Floyd Scarin, Manukian, Langman. Thanks for joining us today. 
Please drop by again next week for more news.